Oftentimes, it's better to start with creativity to help you learn the facts. Life is too short to learn a, a list of a thousand rando words. From the campus of Stanford University, this is Schools In with your hosts, Dan Schwartz and Denise Pope. Welcome to Schools In. I'm Denise Pope, Senior Lecturer with the Graduate School of Education here at Stanford, and I'm with my co-host, Dan Schwartz, who's the Dean of the Graduate School of Education. And due to COVID-19 restrictions, we are not in the studio today. We're recording from our homes, and our guest will be recording from her home as well. Hello, Denise Fuddy Duddy Pope. <laughs> okay. All right. Fu- Fuddy Duddy does not sound very nice, Dan. No, Fuddy Duddy means uh, you're, you're older than the people we're going to be talking about. Oh, yes. We're we're talking about the generation that uh, basically was born at the same time as the internet. So they've never known a world without the internet. Which is so uh, strange, right? To think about. Yeah. And so the, you know, the question for you is like, are you different? Are they different from you? So here's, uh, here's my question. What is your preferred mode of communication? Like back in the day, way, way back in the day, your choices were face to face letters or gossip. Like you'd tell someone who you knew would gossip to someone else. And that's how you communicated. Or phone. I was on the phone. No, no, no. I'm back in the day. Oh, oh, way back. Okay. Pre-phone. Pre-phone. Okay. So so now there are a lot more options. So Mm -hmm. like, what is your favorite way of communicating with people? Well, you're assuming that I'm on all sorts of social media too. Like (laughs) I- I am not on a bunch of social media. I stalk my own children and that's about it. Um, so I think good old fashioned face to face talk, you know, I guess phone sometimes like for meetings right now, I actually love phone as opposed to zoom because I can walk around and kind of not be tethered to the desk, but just good old fashioned communication. I think face to face is the way to go. Well, you don't, you don't like the uh, simplicity of sending a text message. And well, if it's, I'll put it this way, to get a hold of one of my children, a text is, is actually really nice. If it's like a quick thing, like, you know, or to my husband, like, what time do you want dinner? Text is really nice. But if it's just like meeting up with an old friend, um, face to face, what do you, I mean, do you think, what are you, what, what's your preference? Oh, podcasting. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah just, just one way of communication. I'm just, I'm I'm beaming it out. (laughs) That's too funny. The zoom era has been the best thing ever. I talk and you just don't hear anything coming back. So I know you get no, literally no feedback. I know we both presented at um, conferences in person recently. Like this was the first time I presented in person in a really, really long time. I think the same with you and the energy you get from literally hearing the people in the room, seeing their faces, watching, you know, listening to the applause afterwards is just huge. I mean, it just makes you think, oh my gosh, for two years on Zoom, what have we been missing out on? Yeah, well, that that's because you're a rock star, Denise. I, I no. gave a talk and after I was done, it was crickets. Oh, come on. That you know, is so like not true. quiet chirping no. in the background. No, so not true. I actually spoke the day after you and I heard Lots and lots of really good feedback about oh, your talk. So, haha, so here, nice. here's an interesting story. Uh, so uh, I lived in a small, a small Athabascan village, very remote in Alaska. And I lived there for about five years. And halfway through, the TV showed up. Like this is a place that was so remote, it didn't have radio or anything. And they got this one satellite station. Wow, wow. The TV showed up uh, and turns out the kids hated it, whereas the adults loved it. And, and the reason the kids hated it is because the adults stopped walking around town. So you could just have a conversation with them. 
Instead, uh-huh. they were watching Dallas or, you know, some ancient uh, TV series. So it's kind wow. of interesting how this communication technology sort of disrupted the way the kids like to interact. Well, we hear that all the time at Challenge Success when we talk to kids. I'd love to talk to my mom, but she's always on her phone. Uh, yeah, right. Yeah. So like, I feel like that's the phone and the iPhone in particular has really changed, you know, even just in grocery stores. You used to maybe talk to the neighbor while you were waiting in line. Nobody talks to anybody. Everybody's on their phone face down. Yeah. 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 Okay. Well, we're, we're not, we're not in the business of hating on it right nope. now. We're, we're trying nope. to understand. So the, the question we have is sort of how is generation Z different And generation Z is the generation that basically was born at the same time as the internet. So they've never known a world without it. And uh, we're really fortunate to have Roberta Katz with us, uh, who with some co-authors wrote a book called Generation Z Explain, The Art of Living in a Digital Age. So Roberta currently is a senior research scholar at Stanford Center for the Advanced Study of Behavioral Science, uh, Sciences. She's an anthropologist who happens to have a law degree. She also happened to have been my boss for a while. So she was kind of like the chief of staff of the president of the university. And all the strategies that have made Stanford amazing came from Roberta. And even better, whenever you talk to Roberta, when you're done, you feel like you're smarter. And not because she's like overtly taught you something. It's just somehow she makes you smarter. So it's it's great to have you, Roberta. I'm so I've been looking forward to this conversation for, I don't know, four years since you started the book. Uh, thank you, Dan, and thank you, Denise. I'm uh, your your praise has kind of floored me. Now I have this high bar to live up to in today's no. conversation. When we're done, it'll be crickets. So. No, can I just say, Roberta, I, I've I've done this podcast with Dan since 2017. I've never heard him say such nice things about someone. You really, truly must be a superstar. <laughs> All I can tell you is that I'm blushing, and I'm glad. I'm glad this is audio and not video. Okay, so so how is Gen Z different? Let's just start as broad as possible. Well, I think you really put your finger on it. They grew up with this technology. You talked about how technological change made a difference in the this little village in Alaska. And, and if you think about all the technology we use, even when we were growing up, phones made a big difference from the era when you didn't have phones. Electricity, think about what that did for people once you had lights, your whole life changed in the evening. Um, you know, I, I did my field work in a small village in Mexico. And during that year, the electricity came in and the difference between using a Coleman lantern at night and when we could actually flip a switch and have lights was enormous. So if you think about what the internet introduced, it, and I, I like to remind people that this it was 1995 when we all got access to the internet because that was when the browser became something we could put on our computers. All this change, think about everything that is done online now, everything from, you know, you can do your yoga class online to online banking to ordering all kinds of goods. None of that was possible until 1995. So all this change has happened in a little over 25 years. It's stunning. Well, that's the period of time that these kids came into the world. So so their life has been one of constant change. 
during which time their parents, their teachers, their grandparents were living through constant change. So they had to figure out new ways of, of growing up. So uh, Sam Weinberg, uh, a professor in the School of Education, uh, was on the show and he was explaining to me that uh, when he was a kid and you had to do, say, a report on the Civil War or something, you'd find the World Book Encyclopedia, right? And then, then you'd struggle to find one other thing that you could use for your report. He said, now the problem is there's a million things. And so the whole endeavor has changed. Exactly, exactly. So I like to say that the difference in our lives today relative to the lives of humans before this comes down to three things, speed, scale, scope. We are dealing with each of these in a way that is unprecedented for humans. What, what, Think, what do you mean by scope? So scope means the, the, um, the amount of, of information that comes at us, all those bits and bytes, is, is, it, it's, it, it puts the world book into this tiny little box if you think about what these kids can look at. Right. Speed. Oh, go ahead, Denise. This is Schools In with Denise Pope and Dan Schwartz, and we are speaking with Roberta Katz about Generation Z, the generation that grew up really only knowing life with internet. So uh, so what, what, what are, you, you've, you've painted a great picture of how the world is different. Uh, and Denise, it, basically the internet turned the lights on. That's <laughs> yeah. what we learned. And, Clearly. And, and so when you're hating on those people looking at their cell phones in, in, the, in the grocery line, just remember that turned the lights on. I, I don't hate them. I don't hate them. I do I, think that there's, some, there's a lot gained and there's something lost. And my guess is Roberta will uh, agree with that. I do. We did 120 interviews and then we backed it up with uh, 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 survey data from a thousand people in the U.S., a thousand people in Britain in this age group. Um, when we asked in the interviews, uh, the we, we asked the respondents, OK, what's your favorite way of communicating? We thought they might say texting or, you know, direct messaging or email. And almost to a person, they said face to face. And one of the conclusions that we draw in this book is that these young people who have grown up with in the midst of all of this digital technology are adamant about preserving our humanity, our messy, emotive humanity. And when we asked them why face to face, they said, because you get you. It's just what Denise was talking about before. You get more of a sense of the person you are talking to. They want to save the humanity for other people or for themselves. Both. I, they're Both. very aware that um, uh, you know there, there are a lot of big risks to humanity today. Um, whether it's climate change, gun violence, I mean, you name it. Um, they're very aware of that because of the internet. They've been aware of that since they were little kids, and and they care about each other. And they, of course, care. You know, self care has become. A, a little norm, um, right. but it, it is all about uh, keeping us from being machines. That's so interesting, Roberta, that you said that because you know I definitely noticed that young people are more, um, or at least some of them are more civic minded, right? You have like the the Gretas out there, the fight climate change. You have the 
the kids walking out of schools. And even if you're in the middle of rural whatever and you have internet, you're aware of like the Black Lives Ma uh, Matter marches or whatnot. And so we saw marches in these little towns and stuff. I, it just hit me that that could be very much one of the reasons. Exactly so. So I've heard that there's less faith or interest or respect for institutions, right? And then that makes it an interesting proposition for how you're a change agent, right? That you, you don't change the institution. You basically apply pressure uh, by protesting or saying your mind, but you don't actually get inside the institution to change it. I mean, if you think about all of our institutions right now, um, they are, they do not appear to be stable. And it's not surprising. We've just gone through a big and we are going through a big technological revolution. I like to remind people that if you were living in England as the industrial revolution was happening, chances are you were living in a rural setting and suddenly you know, London became a big deal. Factories became a big deal. That was the beginning of public schooling, as I understand it. That was the beginning of a lot of changes in the court systems and in, in the institutions. So when you get that kind of fundamental technological change, you get fundamental social change. It takes a long time, old and new struggle against each other till we figure out what works best for humans. That's what we're going through right now. So, so they can't rely on institutions to be stable the way, certainly I'm a baby boomer, the way I could when I was growing up in post-World War II. And they've also been exposed to all the, you know, all the scandals, you name it. 2008 recession wasn't a scandal, but it meant jobs weren't secure. There've been scandals in government. There've been scandals in religious institutions. There've been scandals everywhere you look. So they are, they are rightly dubious, cynical, um, questioning, and they're not the only ones. This is Schools In with Denise Pope and Dan Schwartz. And we're talking with Roberta Katz about Generation Z and how they have grown up with the internet. And one thing that you were saying, Roberta, I, even the internet has made me more dubious of institutions, right? And it's a stupid thing, but I, I am on my neighborhood next door. And now I hear about every single break. I, I live in a pretty safe neighborhood. I hear about every single break-in or people stealing packages off of people's porch. I would have never known about that. And a, a part of me thinks I should get off of next door because it's just raising my anxiety. So it totally makes sense what yeah. you're saying. This is what I mean by scope. We and and these young people ha, were, had access to this kind of scope when their you know their their brains were forming. They they were becoming so so. They're when I say they're learning different ways of growing up. They are learning about how to contend with this unprecedented amount of information that they are accessible to. The notion when I was growing up that you could have access to someone in China just by, you know, looking on a screen and talking to someone in China or in Europe, well, that, that's, that's a norm for them. So with, with so much uh, possibility and so small and large uh, groups and institutions, uh, how, do, how does the sense of identity show up? You know, it seems to me that people are more concerned about their identity now than they used to be. 
Oh, they are, Dan. And it is a function of, of exposure to so many different ways of living. For young people, as they're growing up and trying to figure out who they are, the internet becomes then access to to that kind of exposure, like, oh, I I saw this person living that way. Does that feel like me? And so what has happened is um, we call it uh, that it's the, the, the identity has many more pieces to it, potentially. I can identify as a person who loves France, and that becomes a piece of my identity in a way that identity never encompassed in the past. Durkheim talked about egoism and anime as two forces that caused uh, youth and adults to commit suicide. Egoism is there's too much pressure to achieve in a particular manner. This is, uh, Denise worries about this a lot. Anime is when it's not clear what path to take. Are are you going to add a third one for Gen Z to these these two? Can in terms or, of a of a negative? Yeah. I, so so I, no. I I'm concerned about the mental health of the current youth right now. So and I don't I know, know this is a Gen Z function or not. It's not just a Gen Z function. I there one. There's a big debate now about whether social media is a, a plus or a minus when it comes to mental health, but we focus a lot on the mental health of young people there. And I, I like to remind people that the mental health of us older people is also serious. We have an opioid epidemic. We have, we have suicide among older people. We have, uh, as we've seen, a lot of unhappiness. What is different from Gen Z, one of the things that's different is that we talk about mental health. They talk about mental health. They grew up with diagnoses of ADHD and and going to see the therapist. When I was growing up, nobody went to see the therapist. You didn't talk about mental health. You didn't talk about any, any negative. Suicide was something that you never discussed, even though it might be happening. Well, over the years, we've become and are becoming increasingly more comfortable talking about that, That's they've grown up with that. So one of the ways they find um, community among themselves is by sharing their concerns. If, if, if they don't feel well, if they feel depressed, they put it out there and find community in doing so. So I, I think um, one of the things that we found in this study is that the identity pieces also correlate with pieces of communities that they belong to. They find identity through belonging to communities, and then the communities reinforce the identities. This is Schools In with Denise Pope and Dan Schwartz. We will have more with Roberta Katz talking about Gen Z and uh, the good and the bad, I guess, of the internet next on SiriusXM. This is Schools In. I'm not an expert at this. I'm more expert than you. When you can't read in American society, you are really left out. With Dan Schwartz and Denise Pope from the campus of Stanford University. Welcome back to Schools In with Dan Schwartz and Denise Pope. We are talking with Roberta Katz about Gen Z, the generation that grew up pretty much only knowing the internet. So as, as a mom of three Gen Zers, I have to ask, what advice are you giving to parents and teachers who deal with these uh, these mini adults um, yeah. every day? <laughs> um, so I, I'm actually giving advice, that, and I've also asked this question about 
uh, now some Gen Zers are starting to enter the workplace and people in the workplace are like, ah, what do I do with these young people? And I'm giving the same advice over and over, which is to listen to them. They, they, ha- they come off as uh, quite confident in their opinions. Some of that comes from the fact that they've been out there getting information on their own for a long time, from the time they were young. They are very self-reliant. They are not arrogant, but they are self-reliant. So they come in with that confidence and that sense that they know how it works. And it's very easy then for someone who's older and who's used to kind of being more of the authority and being able to tell kids, no, this is how it works. It's very easy to, to say to them, no, let me tell you and not stop and listen. I, it is very important for all of us to keep in mind that we are in the midst of vast changes both in our technology and in our society driven by the technology. So they are gonna know some things that maybe we haven't thought about. And we are gonna know some things that they haven't thought about. So in, I'm, I am a huge believer in respectful dialogue, but it means we have to listen with respect and not assume that because we're older, we necessarily know better. We do know better on, on a lot of things, but on some things, because they've been at the forefront of this change, they know better. It's so hard as a parent, right? Because I don't know if you've had this experience, but your kids go to college, they come back, they know everything, you know, nothing, right? They know yeah. everything. And then you're saying, well, I do know a little something, but, but, um, and their prefrontal cortexes are not fully formed, right? Yes. Until they're in their late twenties. So you have this combination of, they have a little bit of knowledge, but they also know a lot from the internet. And as you said, they're self-reliant, but their prefrontal cortexes aren't fully formed. So how much do you step in as a parent and say, Hey, they got to trust me on this one. I know better. It's so hard. Well, and I think when it comes to issues of safety and um, for sure, as a parent, you've got, you've got responsibilities there and you have to fulfill those. So I'm thinking, you know, I the people we looked at were the older Gen Zers, college age, and um, and the young people in their young twenties, and their prefrontal cortex is isn't it twenty four, Denise? When it yeah, comes, and we're getting closer. It, yeah, yeah, finishes doing its work, but but <laughs> I do think the respectful dialogue is helpful no matter what. So I'm not sure what I think about the prefrontal cortex conversation. Uh, but eventually the Gen Zers are, are going to have one. If, if, <laughs> yes. And, yes. And so, and they're going to be parents. So Roberta, what suggestion do you have to the Gen Zers who are just about to become parents for what they should do with their kids? What I found with these Gen Zers is that they're very pragmatic. They, they, um, some of them tend toward being cynical, but most of them are very pragmatic. These are the problems we have no choice but to face because our years of, of being adults are ahead of us and they yearn to have strong families, their own children, and they, they are looking at all of it as we will work together as a generation to solve these problems as best they can. So I don't think they'll coddle the kids but I do think they will um, they will try to work together to solve the problems. 
This is Schools In with Dan Schwartz and Denise Pope. We're talking with Roberta Katz about Gen Z Explained, The Art of Living in a Digital Age, which is Roberta's book. And um, we appreciate all of this advice, Roberta. Thank you. <laughs> so so uh, just to be on the practical side. Uh, so I'm in the business of recruiting students to enter the profession of education, right? So what would be the best kind of pitches I could use to attract Gen Zers? A couple things. One, okay. that it is an opportunity to make a meaningful difference in the lives of others. That what we found in these interviews is that these young people want to give. They want to make a difference in the world, a positive difference in the world. That is part of the this recognition that there are so many problems. And so they want to be part of the, the solution. They're not as focused on making a lot of money as they are about living a balanced life. And so I think that is uh, that would be a that would be a carrot, Dan. Okay, so so my introductory speech to the doctoral students is a mistake. Because I basically say, no, you're just going to work 80 hours a day for five years. Yeah. It's great, you know, and you'll come out. Don't worry about it. But you do not nonstop. say that. You do not like say for, that. For life, life work balance. <laughs> yeah. No, I give up on that. You know, yeah. Just because we're in like the most beautiful place in the world doesn't matter because you're just going to be in your dorm room working, damn it. I do have one little side question, Roberta, which is just me not understanding how how we characterize a whole generation. Is that like, I mean, cause I know we have like the boomers and the Gen X and the Gen Z. How do we decide on even when to break and say, this is the new generation? How does that even it's, work? It's a big, it's a big question that, um, you know, generational research is by definition generalizing, but what people tend to do is look at certain things that an age group is that everyone in the age group, is affected by. So the introduction of the internet or of mobile telephony creates a, a common, relatively common experience. And then you can build off of that and see if it is what the, what the impacts have been across the board. But you can't, you obviously can't describe every single person in a generation that way. You just can find some defining characteristics that may, uh, may apply more broadly. But I, I, the generations tend to be about 15, 20 years. There's okay. a new generation now called Generation Alpha starting in about 2010. So there, there are elementary age kids. Yes. Yeah? Yes. Do we have time for one last piece of advice? So there's an undergraduate who wants to work in my lab and she comes to meet me and she asked me a question. And as soon as I start to answer it, she starts scrolling her cell phone and engaging in a chat with another student or somebody. Ouch. And, and I stop talking and then she stops and I look at her and I say, you asked me a question and then you started doing that. And she, her response to me was, well, that's the way I roll. You should get used to it. Mm. So well, Roberta, am I being a little stodgy when I said, you know what? You probably shouldn't be working for me. No, not at all. I okay. think you are entitled to say, this is what I need. And she's entitled to say, well, this is what she needs. And the needs did not meet. Okay. Thank you. I feel better. <laughs> thank you so much Roberta for being here and thank all of you for listening to Schools In with Dan Schwartz and Denise Pope if you missed any of this episode listen anytime on demand with the SiriusXM app and anywhere you listen to podcasts
From the campus of Stanford University, this has been Schools In with Dan Schwartz and Denise Pope on Sirius XM Business Radio. If you missed any of it, listen on demand, online, or with the Sirius XM app.